0: There haven't been many Republican state treasurers in recent history, but state senator Eric Schmidt is hoping to reverse that trend and take the statewide office into the Republican fold. The Republican from Glendale joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking. 987654321 six, five, 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 two,
1: one. Uh, I think that is fair as to I say, say.
0: Hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but you uh, know, <laughs> I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio in St. Louis is colleague Joe Manus, and returning to the podcast for the fourth time, joining. Uh, John Deal, Scott Sifton, and Joe Kevney and that esteemed club we have as our <laughs> special guest.
1: Eric Schmidt, I was actually the very first person
2: That's right. to do the podcast. He, he was the very first one when I we started having guests.
1: Someone else canceled, I think is probably the real no, story. No,
2: actually it was not. <laughs> we were deciding who'd, who'd get on. But this is when we decided to try guests. There was about a year and a half when we didn't have guests, and I'm sure nobody remembers any of those shows <laughs> It's been
0: a couple it's, years. It, 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 it's <laughs> been uh, since 2013. We recently went over the 200-guest uh, plateau, and we had a quiz to celebrate it. <laughs> the, the winners of that quiz are being uh, – uh, Talk Tabulated. to right now. <laughs> but uh, one of the questions was who is the first guest? And you you were the you were the, the answer to that question. We made the cut. Very proud. So you are the Republican nominee for state treasurer. Usually on the show we would talk about how arduous your primary was, but you didn't have a primary, so we're gonna skip ahead of that and talk about what you would want to do in the state treasurer's office. For our listeners, we recorded a show with Democrat Judy Baker. It should be on our site right now. And we want to give our listeners a sense of who these candidates are. The state treasurer's race usually doesn't get a huge amount of attention because president, U.S. Senate governor, and even attorney general are ahead of it. But it's a really important office. Right. We want to give the voters as much information as possible. So I'll ask a very simple question: Why why do you want to be the state's treasurer, and what do you, would you bring to the office if you're elected? No, that's November? a
1: that's a that's a good question. I get asked that a lot, actually, on the trail. Um, you know, the last six years, I've chaired the Economic Development Committee in the Senate, and have worked on, uh, I think, a lot of important pieces of legislation that can move our economy forward. Um, yeah. And uh, I want to continue that. I also, uh, you know, we, we've the the ads have started um, here in this cycle, but You know, for me, if you just sort of step back, at the end of the day, um, I'm a dad. Um, I'm a sixth-generation Missourian, but I come from a very middle-class working family. My grandfather came back from World War II, started a butcher shop with an eighth-grade education uh, in St. Anne uh, off St. Charles Rock Road. My dad... Um, worked in that butcher shop, went to night school. Um, I saw how hard he worked when I was young. He uh, ended up working in Heiser busch seven days a week, the midnight shift. So that work ethic uh, was installed in me. And, and when I became a father, my son was um, diagnosed with some pretty um, severe medical issues. And I just came to a conclusion sometime around 2006, 2007, that I wanted to do more. And that led me to run for office the first time. It's that same desire. Um, that has led me to want to run for statewide office. I think the treasurer's office can be uniquely uh, situated to be an advocate for economic growth. And at the end of the day, that's really, really important. As I've got around the state, there is a determination in people's eyes, but they know we can do better. And I think the treasurer's office, in addition to the the functions of the office, which I'm sure we'll talk about the day-to-day functions, can really be an advocate and a thought leader for economic growth.
2: Now, you've brought up an issue that actually Sarah Steelman had pushed when she was state treasurer, which has to do with terrorism mm-hmm. and whether or not um, any of the state funds should be invested in firms or or or, or funds where some of the money may come from certain um, other countries or Middle Eastern countries or companies that do business with those companies. Um, can you talk about this? Because some of the critics say this is really all about just uh, the re- Republicans raising the terror flag, and it really doesn't really have anything to do with economic development. So can you talk a little bit about sure. that? Sure.
1: So 10 years ago, Sarah Steelman uh, was the first treasurer in the country to institute a, a terror-free investment investment policy in the treasurer's office. Since then, uh, more than 30 treasurers um, have followed suit. So it has had a significant impact in addition to some of the sanctions, national sanctions that we have, Uh, as it relates to investment in state sponsors of terrorism. There are only three countries on that list. You could be pretty bad to be on that list. It's Iran, Sudan, and Syria. And to be a state sponsor of terror, what that means is you are giving money and arms to terrorists to kill American soldiers and American citizens. So it's a pretty significant designation that's given by the State Department. And so Sarah Steelman was the first. And the reason why I believe that it's very relevant in this race is because about a year ago, the president negotiated the Iran deal. In the Iran deal, in addition to those sanctions being lifted, literally hundreds of billions of dollars now flow into that country by way of uh, investments. Uh, You literally have hundreds of billions being flown in the belly of cargo planes and cash to release hostages. I mean... That deal, in my view, did nothing to dismantle the nuclear infrastructure of the number one state sponsor of terrorism, which doesn't believe Israel should exist, and chance death to America, and they really, really mean it. Why is that relevant to the treasurer's office? Well, there's a paragraph in that deal, paragraph 25, that was specifically negotiated by the Iranians to undermine these state divestiture policies, because they're working. They're working. These sanctions were actually really, really working. And if you think about it, the hundreds of billions of dollars that are on the sidelines through investment policies that the states control that aren't going to companies that do business with Iran has had an impact. So they negotiated it, ended up in the Iran deal. So now state treasurers are gonna be on the front lines of whether or not that policy changes or not, or how it's uh, impacted or how it's effectuated. Uh, that is a difference between me and my opponent. My opponent supports the Iran deal. My opponent is perfectly fine with dollars flowing to companies that do business with Iran. And I don't think, and I on this campaign trail, I haven't met a single person that thinks it's a good idea that their tax dollars would go to entities that do business now, with
0: Iran. S- now specifically, you were, you were quoted in numerous media outlets saying that Boeing should have their tax credits, which by the way, I believe you sponsored this tax credit yes. bill in special session, mm-hmm. because Boeing is thinking of doing a passenger jet deal with Iran. Now, as you alluded to, your Democratic opponent, Judy Baker, criticized you for taking this stance, thinking that you shouldn't provide tax credits to somebody and then yank them away when you don't like a certain business deal that they're doing. I'd like you to respond to her and give, give listeners a sense of why you even made that stance in the first place.
1: Sure. My record on job creation, um, I'm very proud of. Um, in fact, in 2011, I sponsored a resolution to support the F-18, which right now the Boeing jobs in St. Louis are military aircraft. But an opportunity came up um, for us to compete for for passenger um, wing production that ultimately, we went into special session. Ultimately, Boeing decided to keep most of those jobs in Washington. There are a few hundred jobs that might be transitioning here uh, because of some of the work that we did to to fight, and I worked with business and labor leaders to get that done. Uh, That was in 2013. Um, Right now, um, uh, you know, Boeing is seeking to do a deal with Iran. the treasurer's office doesn't administer those tax credits. I mean, that's, I think, even... That's my, right. They don't administer the tax credits. I was asked a question by a reporter about how I felt about those credits, and I have been very consistent. I don't think any tax dollar should go to any company that does business with a state sponsor of terrorism. My opponent has go, gone so far as to, to not only support that, but I'm not sure she fully understands not only the Iran deal in that paragraph 25, which is central to this defund Iran plan, But even the existing policy, and I don't think she even believes that that policy extends to companies that do business with Iran. It does. I think she is recently on your show uh, said that I want to go extend the policy to deal with companies. That's already the existing uh, investment policy of the state. And so what I've been very focused on is making sure that that investment policy remains intact even in light of this Iran deal.
2: Well, might that threaten Boeing jobs in Missouri if you as treasurer take steps to um, either – punish Boeing or say bad things about them, or, or as far as the state investments, um, or like if they do need tax credits, granted, it's up to the General Assembly, but the treasurer often you know, has an influential role behind that?
1: Well, the legislature would have to pass a law uh, to deal with that, um, but I've been very consistent. I just don't think um, any company can choose to make a decision to do, a, in my view, a very risky deal with the number one state sponsor of terrorism in the world. What remains to be seen is whether or not that deal is actually even going to go through. In Congress, they're seeking assurances that those passenger planes won't be used to transport troops. I mean, there's a lot of hurdles. The financing, XM may still have to finance it, or they won't. So there's a lot of hurdles for that ultimately to happen because it's such a risky deal in the sense that um, there's there's only three countries on that list, and um, people uh, ought to be very wary about doing business with. Um, with, with Iran But as far as state tax dollars go It doesn't matter what company it is I just don't think taxpayers should be footing the bill for that
2: Now um, How do you think the current Treasurer who's just finishing up his Second term, Clint Zweifel who's a Democrat um, Do you think he's been Doing enough on this? I mean when you When you're looking at the investment portfolio That, that the state has now How would your policy change That at all or would it be simply uh keeping things as they are and just not adding stuff. Well, to be
1: fair, this is an emerging issue that hasn't really played out yet because the Iran deal is so new and there really haven't been any companies that have done business with with Iran. So this is an emerging issue that will probably play out when the next treasurer um, gets sworn in. And so uh, I just think people ought to know, taxpayers ought to know that their treasurer Uh, isn't going to be using their money um, to find its way to um, state sponsors of terror. So we'll be very vigilant on this point. But really, it's a continuation, quite frankly, of the existing policy in light of the Iran deal.
0: So I want to talk to you about some of the boards that you're going to serve on if you're state treasurer. One of the things that you would be a part of is pensions, because the state treasurer has a seat on, the I think, the state pension board, board Moser's. And just for full disclosure, and I disclosed this on the other podcast. I am an employee of the University of Missouri-St. Louis, and so is Joe, so if we work here long enough, we will be in the state pension program, so I wanted to put that disclosure up to our listeners. But what would be your philosophy toward pensions? Obviously, you wouldn't be able to drastically transform it on your own. There are other people on that board, but you know, what would you want to do in that sphere, which
1: is very important to lots and lots and lots of Missourians who are state employees. I mean, my record is, is being, you know, I'm a, I'm a fiscal conservative, and I would take that proven track record to the Motors board. The, uh, the treasurer is one of the board members that sits on there along with some other folks that are appointed, you know, by the governor. And I just think that um, we need to be very mindful of, you know, making sure we get a solid return, but also being realistic with where we're at and being taking a very conservative approach. So that's, you know, that's something that I intended, that philosophy and that background take to that, that position.
2: Now, one of the things that's, and this has been an issue since back before the primary, one of the reasons that some say you didn't have a primary is that, I mean, you are a well-funded candidate, but a lot of your money has just come come from very few people. Um, Do you want to discuss that at all or talk about that and and your thoughts about um, Amendment 2, which would make that no longer uh, the case, not just for you, but anybody? running for office from Coster and Greitens on down. Uh,
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, as I've been consistent, I think on the second part, first, the transparency is the most important element, um, I think. And if it's disclosed, people can make their decisions. As relates to my um, support, uh, I'm very proud of the support that I've gotten. Um, You know, even outside of what you're, the contribution you're speaking of, we've raised probably two and a half million dollars from other Missourians um, who support my candidacy. My opponent has not been able to gain traction on that front, just not gotten, you know, support in that way. And I'm proud of that. I mean, that's a lot of hard work. That's a lot of meeting with people. Um, that's a lot of people, um, you know, knowing who you are and what you're about, and wanting to support you. Um, and that ranges from a broad spectrum of folks, from you know, folks in the business community have seen all the the work they've done, to to regular folks that I meet out on the trail who are are proud that somebody's going to run um, as a conservative in that office. It is a um, it's a very important office, as Jason mentioned, and uh, it, I think it's important that you have a real fiscal watchdog in that in that place right now.
0: Going back to pensions for a moment, you voted for a major overhaul of pensions in 2010, which I think among other things, state employees have to contribute a certain amount of money. I think there's a certain amount of time that you would have to have in order to qualify for a state pension, which is a defined benefit, not like a 401k. Again, you wouldn't be the only person who would make decisions on it, but would you want to see any other major structural changes to how pensions are administered in in Missouri more than what happened in 2010? Yeah,
1: I think um, my record in general has been one of a reformer in the sense that whether it was autism insurance reform or tax reform or municipal court reform, those are the things that I've gotten involved with back in 2010. There was significant pension reform that I think, you know, basically saved taxpayers about $800 million over the course of about 10 years or so based on that, which was basically that new employees, new hires would pay in a percentage uh, to keep that solvent. And that is going to be a continuing uh, challenge for us. And so, you know, I intend to, um, again, continuing to look at that to make sure that we um, keep the promises that have been made to people that are in that system.
0: Now, one of the other boards that you're going to serve on is a board that administers low-income housing tax credits. Now, this is an incentive that has been the source of immense controversy, not only on the board in particular that you would serve on, but also in the legislature. There have been some conservative Republicans who have wanted to curtail that tax credit along with the historic preservation tax credit. There's also a lot of just ordinary people, low-income seniors and low-income individuals, who feel it's an incredibly important incentive to get housing. So if you're serving on that board, what's going to be your mindset toward providing that incentive to uh, entities that want it, essentially?
1: Yeah, I've um, – I don't know if I've mentioned this on, our, on on one of the three other podcasts before, but uh, my political <laughs> hero uh, growing up was Jack Kemp. I think and, you did. And, uh, and he was this happy warrior, and he also um, – would get involved in issues that maybe Republicans traditionally wouldn't get involved with or go into rooms that Republicans wouldn't yeah, traditionally I, get in.
2: Yeah, I was lucky enough to interview him several
1: times in about I, 15 years. And, and he has um, helped guide some, in my view, some of the issues that I get involved with, whether it's lower taxes, but also uh, issues related to poverty. I was the first Republican to sponsor the Earned Income Tax Credit, first Republican in the history of the Senate to do that this year, and it got some traction. I think issues related to poverty and making sure people have opportunity. Um, in creating an opportunity society is really, really important. And Republicans, I think, need to continue to, to talk about those things as it relates to a broad spectrum of folks in, in that tent. Um, making sure you have affordable housing is part of that. Um, I think in that board, though, in particular, uh, an area of focus for me uh, will be making sure that individuals with disabilities have affordable community-based housing. Uh, the model of, you know, sort of putting people away um, it doesn't exist anymore and it's illegal. And so as the father of a son who is nonverbal and depends on my wife and I for everything, um, it's a very personal issue for me. And I, and I and those are the things that keep me up at night, like what's gonna happen to Stephen when I'm gone. And I'm going to carry that life experience as I have in the General Assembly, but also to that board and making sure that there are, there are quality options available for individuals with disabilities.
0: If the legislature tries to make major cuts to low-income housing, whether it puts a, a, a tighter cap on how much can be doled out every year, I mean, that would be the legislature's decision, but you could still use the bully pulpit to make your views known. Well, how would you react to something like that? Because that's obviously been proposed before.
1: Yeah, I mean, I want to be, look, I, I have a lot of relationships and I actually think it can be a benefit for me serving in, in that office um, to, to try to move an agenda with my colleagues that I just served with that happen to be in a supermajority. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I, the I don't think so. I'll like, um, say a race here or there. But um, but I think there, you know, we've got to have a balance, and I think that um, in, in many ways, uh, making sure that people have opportunities, they have affordable housing options, will be important. But I, I'm certainly weigh in. I, I've I've dealt with a lot of those issues already in the General Assembly and chairing the committee, and, and I hope to bring that experience to the office as well.
2: Now, if you become state treasurer, are there things that you're going to deal with at the very beginning? I mean, there's some nuts and bolts stuff, but mm-hmm. then other things aside from the uh, committees that we, these boards that we've been talking about. What is your objective when you first come in, if you become treasurer?
1: Well, we talked about the the tariff-free investing. That's been a focus. Um, Also, um, I think that treasurers across the country have led on transparency initiatives. Um, In Ohio, for example, uh, Treasurer Mandel came in town with us on a campaign stop to talk about something they have called Ohio Checkbook. So whether we call it Missouri Checkbook or Show Me Checkbook, to really have an online easily accessible way for people to look at what government expenditures are. And I think that can lead to a lot of reforms and really carrying my work on municipal court reform as you look at some of the you know, whether it's taxation by citation or some of the abuses to really kind of ferret that out but also work with local governments on that too. The Missouri ABLE Act is something that's coming online. It's a bill that I passed in 2015 that is a way for families to save for the long-term needs of a loved one with a disability, like they would for college, mm-hmm. uh, like the 529 Most Program, which the Treasurer's Office also. Yeah, yeah in fact, I was going to ask you about that. So, so those two, you know, being the fir- me being the first generation to go to college right out of high school, education attainment is really important. I've seen that in my work as chairman of the of the Economic Development Committee. You need to have an educated workforce. So the 529 plan is a direct connection to that, to 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 higher ed and making sure people are are, are achieving. Um, you know, the American dream. But also, again, getting back, we did last week, we did a um, um, our Missouri ABLE Act tour with our special needs coalition. It's something that's um, not really been done before, but we're building alliances with those providers, with those families to make sure they're aware of this new program coming online that, again, gives hope and independence to people who are really looking forward, who have de- been uh, dealt challenges that, that most typical folks haven't.
0: Well, let's stay on the MOST program for a second. Again, I got to full disclosure. I, I have a most account and I have, uh, I, I have a two and a half year old son that I hope will utilize that one day. Mm-hmm. So how do you want to make that particular program more available to Missourians? Because it seems like a really good way to save for college, but it doesn't seem like it's been widely adopted by a lot of people for various reasons. What would you do to change that status quo if that's actually true? You're right.
1: There's about 3% of Missourians are enrolled in uh, 520, really? which is a low number. And so we've got a long way to go to make sure people are aware of it. So I think education Why is part Why do you think
2: it. it is so low, and what can the treasurer's office do to improve that? I
1: think you've got to raise awareness. I think you can also be creative in building partnerships with community banks to maybe help seed some accounts. I mean, use leverage the office because we have so many community banks that are so invested in their communities around this state to partner with them with 529 College Savings. But I th- also think the awareness of it and not just the money that will help pay for ever-escalating college expenses, but it's also the hope and the expectations that can be put in place. I, you know, Working on some education issues over the last eight years, I got a chance to tour the KIPP Academy uh, in St. Louis here. And one of the things I think that they do really well is they have every classroom is named after a university. And there's these very subtle reminders that this is achievable. And again, I, I don't I come from a family, my you know, my my dad worked very hard. I was the first generation to go for college. I I, I can appreciate how important a college degree is. And even if it's not a college degree, making sure people are placed, whether it's a, a two-year degree or a trade school, there's a lot of jobs that there's need for those kinds of skills. And I think that the 529 can be a great connection point between, you know, a lot of the the work I've done with businesses over the past several years as chairing that committee with real people who we've tried to work with too to connect everyone so that they know that there's a way to save that's going to allow their kid to, to um, again achieve the American dream. So I think awareness is where you start um, but and, uh, and just continuing some of the work that's been done. But also I will say this too again getting back to something. We started one when my son Stephen was born.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A very painful sort of realization you know he's nonverbal. Stephen's Probably not going to go to college, um, so we transferred that to my daughter. I think these able accounts um, are a great way for for folks to across the spectrum of abilities to be able to save for a loved one when they're not there, whether it's them going to college or them having greater independence when they're not around, and and so you know, timing gifts for grandparents during the holiday season. There's a lot of things that I think you can be creative with so people are aware of it, and these these are funded.
0: What do you think the biggest difference is between you and your Democratic opponent in this race?
1: Well, um, my opponent has run for several offices um, in the last decade. Um, when she served in the House, I don't think she passed a single bill. I think my record is one of accomplishment, major reforms, autism insurance reform two of the largest tax cuts in the history of the state. Municipal court reform that was hailed by this governor as the most significant municipal reform in the history of the state. There's that. When she was handpicked by President Obama to to implement Obamacare in Missouri uh, in 2009, um, that coincided with my efforts uh, to lower taxes. So her record is pushing a disaster of, uh, of Obamacare in Missouri. She was you know, some people get there's, – there's a lot of discussion uh, about people voting for some semblance of that in the legislature. She literally was chosen uh, as a true believer to implement this in Missouri. I think that's a stark contrast. You talk about if you, can, if you like your plan, you can keep it. That was not true. Um, skyrocketing health care costs, skyrocketing, skyrocketing premiums, um, higher taxes – this is the legacy of Obamacare, and my opponent implemented Obamacare. So while I was working to try to lower the tax burden, that's what my opponent was doing.
2: Okay, I'm going to just play devil's advocate here. I'm not defending anything, but just, okay. Uh, the general consensus is, even if Obamacare, quote, wasn't around, that uh, insurance premiums would still be high. You'd have millions of people who would not be able to get insurance because of pre-existing conditions. I know a number of people that are in that category, there is uh, some of the provisions that people like, including uh, Roy Blunt, who had promoted this one provision about letting people stay on their, uh, letting young people stay on their family plans to their 26. Um, Granted, technically, you know, it's not part of the treasurer's office, but you're bringing it up as one of the key issues in the race. So how would things have have been different. If people were still going to be paying sky-high premiums anyway, I mean,
1: just... Well, don't listen to me. Listen to Bill Clinton, I guess. Uh, well, Who, <laughs> by not... his own admission, called it a, a disaster. I well, he was exactly... talking about certain things he thinks yeah. need to be done I think Missourians have rejected it twice. It's been on the ballot essentially twice, whether it was the exchanges or Prop... C, I think it was, Prop B. Well, what do you uh, think
2: the state should have done? I mean, I mean, if well, you ex- were... Well, we, we since you brought ex- it up.
1: Yeah, we rejected the exchanges that are collapsing. Right. I think empowering individuals to make more health care decisions through HSAs is a good place to start. Those were eviscerated um, by Obamacare. Health savings accounts. Uh, and then you also have a situation now where you have fewer options. And, and by the way, the promises that were made about, you know, if you like your plan, you don't ever have to really switch over is proven to be untrue. So at every stage... Um, you know, Nancy Pelosi said that we'll have to, you know, after we vote on it, we'll find out what's in it. Um, I mean, the litany of the, the parade of terribles associated with Obamacare—we uh, could probably spend a whole show on it—but I think, it, yeah. in, in a nutshell, it's left fewer options for people in a higher tax burden.
2: Yeah, well, because I'm just kind of wondering, because I mean, you're a smart guy, so I mean, thank you. I mean, you know, and <laughs> so, my, but my point being that insurance costs will be going up anyway.
1: I mean, well, I it, think look, there's and, plenty. And, of, and
2: if this is a campaign issue.
1: Well, you know, Jason I think, asked what are, okay. what are some of the differences. Right. And I think I just think my time trying to lower the tax burden, work on real okay. reforms, that's what my opponent was doing. That's why I brought it up. How, uh,
0: okay, How many bills did Clint will pass when he was in the legislature? I don't know, but,
1: you know, I've worked with a lot of Democrats that have passed— I, I think
0: it was zero, and the, that didn't matter to Missouri voters. They still elected him over Brad Lager sure. and Cole McNary. So I'm just curious why that matters in this particular context.
1: I think it relates—look, um, I've worked with a lot of Democrats that have had good ideas that have passed a lot of bills. Um,
2: wasn't well, it harder with Republican majority should, as it would course, be of course as it would be of, if it was the other
1: way of course but if that were true no Democrat would ever pass a bill and, and that's <laughs> not the record of some but but at the end of the day uh you know focusing on what I think I have done I have really in the last eight years worked on a lot of the really big issues that affect the state and i'm proud of that and and again whether it's tax cuts autism insurance reform municipal court reform you know i have um worked with my colleagues across the, the, the you know created bipartisan coalitions to get these things done i'm proud of that record i just think that's one difference between me and,
0: and, and by the way treasurer's wife if you did end up passing a bill during your time in the missouri house you are free to come on this show <laughs> and laugh at me and make well, fun he's of me been on before. He, and he's any and, he, and and we talked uh, earlier, he probably will be coming on before he leaves office. Let's talk about kind of the campaign and the national environment. One of the big things that typically determines the results of down-ballot statewide races like this is the national environment. And it is, what is it, 15 days to go? Chaotic. Let's just say it's chaotic. I'm not not going to mince words. (laughs) It looks pretty bad for Republicans right now. Things could change. I'm Things sure that's what you're going to say. could change, and I think say. the
2: polls are all over the map. But, I want to be fair
0: here. Yeah, I, I want to be fair here, but when your presidential nominee is slated to lose Arizona, Georgia, North Carolina, possibly Utah, maybe even Texas, that wasn't even the case in 2008 when your opponent almost won a Republican congressional seat. I'm just curious how that's going to affect your ability to win this race when it appears your presidential nominee, which has a big effect on your race is collapsing
1: right now well the biggest effect on my race obviously is missouri um uh and how missourians feel about right. me running for state treasurer. um i think a republican nominee is going to win missouri the question is by how, by how much? much by how and, much sure and, and, and whether that's closer to five or twelve and that's correct a, right. if it's
2: five or less the the predictions have been that does make it more difficult for uh down ballots but it depends on the race sure. just like you say
1: and uh and look it's look there have been um, – uh, I think this is going to be a very good year for Republicans um, on the statewide ticket. You can't say that the last you know few cycles. And, in fact, you could go – but, but I will say this. This is what's interesting, and you guys would appreciate this. Sure. It's the first time in a generation, literally a generation in 24 years, where every single statewide office that's up this year will have a new occupant. Yep. And – that is a unique opportunity um, to kind of reset where the state is headed, and I am really excited about being a part of that. Um, if the voters elect me to to um, really come in as this chief, as a chief financial officer of state, somebody that has a track record on tax reform, to talk about where Missouri is going to be in ten years, there's a ton of opportunity. One of the things that I've learned, you know, running statewide is the diversity of this state. I mean, in the boot heel, they grow everything um except citrus so they're growing rice you go to northwest missouri they're wind farms that's a tremendous opportunity for us especially as the panama canal is widening the mississippi river is going to be as important as it's been in a hundred years us getting goods to market quicker there's tremendous opportunity and my favorite story about missouri and why this opportunity has existed for a long time was car the czar of the valley when there was the new madrid yeah. earthquake bought all that land in the boot heel and when missouri was petitioning to be a state um, he went to Congress and wanted to be in Missouri, not in Arkansas. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you don't want to be in Arkansas, but one of them was <laughs> there is great opportunity in this state, and that remains to be the case. But we need leaders and uh, who, who see that that opportunity and are willing to fight for I, it. And and that's why I'm running. Full disclosure: My mom went to high school in Arkansas, continued. <laughs> uh, sorry, Jason, you're from, I from everywhere. I see other tweets about Chicago <laughs> and Tampa Bay. I can never. I, this I out. will
0: just say this before <laughs> Joe asked her question: One of my proudest family uh, n- accomplishments is the fact that my mother graduated from Little Rock Central High School, one of the first integrated high schools in the South. It is something that is deeply prideful for me. Continue, Okay,
2: okay. So, but now a lot of the Republican candidates, um, including you, have been traveling around together, Mm -hmm. which is something – it hasn't got a lot of notice, I mean, because, frankly, we're all swamp writing stuff, but I'm trying to do more on that. But this reminded me of '92. Mel Carnahan did that. Now, in that case, they were flying around, but and they did do a bus trip in '96, which I was on, which is a whole other thing. But the point was that Mel Carnahan did a big thing of having all the uh, Democratic office holders and candidates traveling around together. Now uh, they're doing it this time. Who instigated this, and sort of what's been the dynamic? Uh, if you're traveling around with some of the other Republicans running for statewide office,
1: I, do, I think there's a lot of energy. I mean, I really do. I think people sense that it's a big year. There's a lot at stake. Um, you know, we can have a, a Republican governor, you can have Republican t- t- lieutenant governor, secretary of state, treasurer, attorney general. All that's very achievable this year. And, and everybody brings different talents, and each office is very different. Um, but I think, obviously, the personalities that are running will help drive an agenda. But I, I think there's a great amount of excitement. Um, the crowds have been bigger. I mean, we did kind of the Lincoln Day tour. Uh-huh. That sort of dominates right. the spring. Then you get around, and, and we've been very active um, with having our own events but also partnering with folks. Uh, and so it's great. I think it's going to be a great year.
2: Now, you've been, as I said, traveling on the bus with Roy Blunt in mm-hmm. particular, who's running for re-election in the Senate, which is one of the most closely watched Senate races in the country, and right now is considered one of six Mm-hmm. that are being targeted by both parties, big time. Bigly. Uh, yes, bigly. bigly, big, bigly. <laughs> it's That's bigly.
0: Right. It'll always be bigly to me, but continue now, to tell. Now, so all.
2: I'm just interested. I mean, what's your assessment uh, about, I mean, I have no Blunt, but I'm interested in your thoughts about him since he, I would say, is probably the leader of this bus tour yeah, because he, he's uh, the most veteran on there.
1: I am, um, I suppose, relatively young uh, at 41. Um, Uh, On the ticket. And I think it's actually interesting, too, um, the uh, the statewide ticket as running the state. Everybody except for Senator Parson, everybody's under the age of 45 on the Republican Mm -hmm. side. So it's really it's interesting. Um, But traveling around with um, with Senator Blunt, he is um, the hardest working candidate I've ever been around. I mean, he goes uh, to everything uh... he relates with folks he works really hard he's been somebody that uh... has worked really hard for missouri i think their hashtag is roy delivers um, he really has worked across the aisle um, with, with Democrats and, and, uh, and his colleagues in a leadership position to work on behalf of, of average, ordinary, ordinary, average everyday, ordinary Missourians. And so uh, he's doing a great job. I think he's going to win. Um, it's a spirited race. There's no question about that. But, uh, but he's, he's, I, I think what's what sticks out to me is how hard he works every single day.
2: Now, if you win, I mean, there are a lot of people, you've been on short lists of ending up running for governor or something down the road. Would you be looking at that right away or kind of no. – have you made a promise about things? I
1: no, mean- I I am solely focused on this race, uh, and my wife keeps me very grounded uh, in this whole process. Um, so, no, I'm very focused on, on winning the Treasures race and actually – um, doing good work in that office for the, all the reasons that we talked about here earlier today and all the things that I want to do in the first 100 days and throughout the term.
0: And my final question is, you mentioned that you think Donald Trump is going to win Missouri. Would you be comfortable with Donald Trump being president of the United States?
1: Look, I, there's no way I can support a third term of Barack Obama, and that is what Hillary Clinton represents uh, from all the issues that are at stake, tax policy, uh supreme court uh there's a lot on the line and there's just no way that i could support four more years of barack obama and that's what hillary clinton represents
0: very good and if uh, as i said to your opponent if uh you win you get to come back on for fifth possibly, time possibly fifth. the fifth there is no i'm gonna run up the <laughs>
1: score can i run up the score here
0: <laughs> nobody has broken the fifth barrier and i'm i'm should i should i I'll, I'll i'll explain to him the the curse of this after the show yeah for, but,
2: but hey there's the upside too because we're all history buffs and in fact I'm going to talk to him about Hamilton if we get, uh, after we get off the air, because I'm going to Chicago soon. Absolutely. We've had some great
1: conversations about there's only been two Republican state treasurers since Prohibition. One of them is Wendell Bailey, and I know you've yes. got, always had some great stories yes. about Wendell <laughs> Bailey.
2: Some of which I will not tell. <laughs> uh,
0: Wendell Bailey after dark, people. Uh, for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at?
2: J Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And
0: how would we follow you on Twitter?
1: At Eric underscore Schmidt. Two Ts.
0: The underscore is important there. Until next time, so long.